recently. I've never. We, that's not one that we sing a lot around here, but I love the the message of the song, and it's one that we sing a lot in our churches in Mexico. And so, that's certainly the truth, right? To the work, to the work, toiling on. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do till the till the night comes. Amen. Until Jesus comes. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 16. I appreciate you being here this morning. I, I say that with the, from the bottom of my heart. I don't take it lightly. I know that this is a very important day in the scheme of things, right? Uh, at least as far as the world is concerned. Uh, you have to understand, I like football. I've always enjoyed football when, from the time that I was young. I used to used to watch it religiously, almost as religiously as going to church. Uh, but it kind of became a conflict, you know, uh, especially with uh, rescheduling of some of the games and so forth. I remember when I was a teenager, and you have to have to understand, I grew up in West Texas. And in those days, uh, Roger Staubach, number 12, was the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, that was that was the end. I mean, that was all there was uh, out in West Texas at that time. And, and uh, I can remember going, we used to have, a, uh, a Bible study class before the evening service. So our Bible study class on Sunday evening uh, for the youth was at 6 o'clock in the evening, and then the evening service was at 7 o'clock, uh, and that was just the way things were back in those days. And I can remember going to youth class on Sunday evening when the Cowboys had the late game. When they started at 3.30, they weren't done by 6. And so uh, the youth director had a little 13-inch television, that he would bring in, and we would watch the rest of the Cowboys game before we started youth meeting. I don't know how religious or say, uh, you know, how how spiritual that was, but uh, I do know that a lot of times when the Cowboys lost, man, the the, the spirit in the service that night was terrible. Uh, you know, I thank the Lord that the Holy Spirit is not subject to the whims of professional football. Let me just put it that way, okay? And I thank the Lord that we serve Him day and night, and that it's always a good thing to be in the house of the Lord. You have to understand, folks, that the Sunday morning service is, is the, the pinnacle, uh, at least of a preacher's week. I mean, this is what we work for. This is what we pray for and prepare for. And, and so I appreciate you being here and being a part of it. And obviously, I believe it's very important to the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, Christ rose on Sunday morning. You understand that? And that's the reason we come together on Sunday morning to remember uh, his resurrection. But be that as it may, I appreciate y'all being here. I thank the Lord that we've got faithful folks that will be here serving the Lord no matter what. Matthew chapter 16 is a passage that we read last week. We're going to read it again this week. We may read it another time or two uh, before we're done. I always like to try to bring a series of messages, and I don't know whether you've caught this yet or not, but usually toward the end of January, going into the first part of February, about our responsibilities as a church. And the reason for that, of course, is because February is our missions month. Do you see our little heart over here? Uh, we're making some good progress on the lights going around. Ideally, we want all the way the lights to be lit up all the way to the little peak right above uh, the G and H on neighbor, right there in the middle of the heart. Uh, we want that to be lit up by the end of March. Uh, usually we take our commitments, 
for our faith promise, and you'll be hearing a little bit more about this as we go through the month. We take our commitments during the month of February, uh, let folks begin to get established in their giving and so forth in March, and then we start tracking that from the first Sunday in April. And so we've got about 14 weeks left to go as far as our star chart over here is concerned. Uh, We're actually running a little bit behind this year, but we need to pray that God will just increase that and we'll be able to make our goal uh, by the end of the year. In the meantime, this is Missions Emphasis Month, and we're trying to press the importance of worldwide evangelism, winning souls both here and around the world for our church family. And that's one of the reasons why we like to emphasize uh, the ministries of the church and so forth around this time of year. But having said all of that, Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to invite you, if you would, please to stand with me as we read beginning in verse number 13. Matthew chapter 16 and beginning in verse 13, where the scripture says this, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here to your house. I do thank you for the faithfulness of your people. Lord, I thank you that there are folks that love you with all of their hearts and want to, want to serve you. And I thank you that they are interested in absorbing uh, and feasting on your word. And, Lord, I pray that you would give them that which they need this morning through the ministry of your blessed holy word. Lord, I I come to you as your vessel. I ask you to forgive me of sin. I I ask you, Lord, to fill me with the power of your spirit. And we don't ask those things lightly. But from the depths of our hearts, I have no desire to stand here and just make noise. I want to be used of you to communicate the truths of your word to the hearts and lives of the people that are assembled. And Lord, I just pray that you would do your work and that you would honor your promise that your word would not return to you void this morning. And as we study the ministries of that which you established, your local church, I pray that we may understand it to its full, and, Lord, that we would feel our responsibilities as your servants, as your people, as indeed the church. And, Lord, I ask you, as always, that if there's anybody here today that doesn't yet know you as Savior, they've not made certain their eternal destiny, they don't know what would happen to them if they were to die, I pray that they would get that settled once and for all before they leave this place today and that they would trust in you who are the living Lord. And, Lord, I ask you to speak to each one of us. Give us that which we need. Help us and prepare us for whatever lies ahead of us as we go forth to serve you through the rest of this week. And we praise you in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you, folks, for being here, and I thank you for your attention already. Today I trust that God will bless his word as it goes forth. That is our prayer, right? And it's not just going through the motions. I'm going to start out a little bit differently this morning than I usually do. I wonder if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many people today have with them somewhere at least one key? I keep these on my, on my belt. Do you have a key with you today? Let me see them. Come on, don't be bashful. 
<laughs> I just want to see some cooperation here. Just get everybody woke up, you understand? Everybody's got a key, right? You, you know, some of these keys are kind of strange these days. They don't really look like a key at all. They look like a plastic stub. That's the one. <laughs> uh, I saw a big handful over here, Brother Fred. <laughs> right. uh, most of us at one time or another, somebody, just about everybody today, uh, I venture to say virtually every person here, with a few possible exceptions amongst the very young, uh, have one, or in most cases, several keys. My grandbaby even has keys. Of course, they don't open anything, you understand, but they have keys that, they, that, they, uh, that, that are important to them for whatever reason. Uh, I used to think that the more keys I had, the more important my job was, right? I remember when I was first starting out in the work world, uh, I was working at a thrift store. Yeah, big important job, right? Uh, but I was really impressed the day that uh, that the boss called me into his office and he gave me a belt clip, one of these retracting chain things with a key ring on it, and it had the key to the business and amongst other other things uh, that were on that key ring. And, and at that time, my thinking was, man, the more keys I've got, the more important I are, right? Well, I quickly, thank the Lord, got over that. Uh, I now try to carry as few keys as possible. Can't stand to have keys in my pocket. That's why I wear them on my belt. But that has nothing to do with the sermon. There is one set of keys, however, that I dare not stop carrying. They are the keys that have been entrusted to me personally and to the church corporately by our Lord Jesus himself. Those keys will be the focus of our attention today, and if we don't finish today, we'll move on into the next service, but hopefully, prayerfully, we will get done with this this morning. The keys, of course, will be uh, that we're continuing, or a continuation, if you will, of our series of messages that we've been calling, What's a Church to Do? And beginning this series, when we did, was at least partially by design, because as we said, we start our Missions Emphasis Month today. Let me just pause here for just a moment and say, if, you have, if you're a member of our church and haven't yet picked up one of our commitment cards, we've got those available in the back of the room as you go out this morning. Please get one of those, take it with you, be looking at it and praying over it over the next couple of weeks, and we'll be explaining more of the purpose for all of that uh, as we get into uh, our Missions Emphasis Month. But this is the time of year when we tend to preach and teach missions as the primary mission or purpose of our church. We believe in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. We, individually, we as individuals prayerfully consider what part God would have us to take in the missionary ministry of our church. We also seek God's will as a church as to what missions projects to be involved in. One of the things that I love about the way that we do missions is the fact that we get to know our missionaries, that our missionaries are our personal missionaries. They come by, they speak to us, we interact with them. Uh, we've had the privilege over the last week or so to have Brother Jaron, my, my nephew, and his family in, missionaries in Nicaragua that are sent out by our church, and it's always a joy when they're in. I can't keep up with them. You understand uh, their personality is a little bit different than mine. Uh, Jaron is all, you know, spring wound and, and so forth, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm not so much that way. But nonetheless, uh, one of the good things about the way we do it is we get to be in personally involved with our missionaries, and we can pract- personally uh, participate in sending them to do the work that God has called them and us to do. To do. Suffice it to say this morning that we take missions very personally around the, here. Uh, Having said that, uh, let's talk about keys, get back to the subject of our message this morning. God has given us some very important keys. Their possession and use encompasses a great portion of why we exist as a church. 
In answer to the question, what's the church to do, today's answer is use the keys. I'll begin by clarifying the significance of keys in a rather general sort of way. And you're going to have to bear with me a little bit this morning as I try to put all this together, okay? Going back to our text, Matthew chapter 16, in verse number 18, it says, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not a separate thought. This is a continuation of the same thought. Jesus said, I will build the church upon, you, upon this rock. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In order to understand what's going on here, we have to understand a little bit about the significance of keys in general. I've already asked you to show me your keys, and just about all of us have at least one. Most of us have several, one for the car, one for the business, one for the house, one for uh, the church house, one for the closet, one for any, you know, one. There, there are several probably on your key ring that you don't remember what they're for. Right? I've got we got a we got a box at the house, a little plastic Tupperware box that's full of keys, and who knows what those keys ever went to? They they go someplace. We keep them just in case one of these days we may find out what they were to. Uh, but the keys uh, almost become dominant in our lives. We we use keys to regulate who goes into our houses, who has access to our treasures. Who can get the things that are closest to us or that are most important to us? We use to lock up things, in other words, right? So although they tell us of a day when people didn't lock their doors, I don't live in that day, right? And so when we leave the house or when we go to bed at night, guess what? The doors are locked. There are two reasons for that. When we're in there, it's to protect our lives, when we're not in there, it's to protect our stuff, right? And so we keep the doors locked and we carry a key with them. We also use them to get around. But really, they're to secure access to the item, in this case, the automobile. Uh, once we get in, we turn on the key. That gives us access to the switch, and then we can go where we want to go. But the idea of the key is to keep the automobile from walking off on its own, right? That's kind of the idea there. So the point is that we use them to lock up things. We use them to lock up stuff. But we also, and this is kind of a, a little bit maybe un, more unpleasant manner of thinking about keys, but keys are also used to lock up people. We use them in handcuffs, right? Uh, Brother Fultz and others uh, that, that are accustomed to using these as a tool of their trade. Uh, they're used uh, in chains and shackles. They're used on prison doors, they're used to confine people that uh, would otherwise be a danger to themselves or others in society or have committed crimes against society and so forth. In these cases, the one who holds the key has, at least to some degree, the, the ability to bind and loose. They have the be ability to either uh, bind someone uh, or uh, to set them free. There's nothing more binding, I have to say, as we get into this this morning, than the enslaving chains of sin. Every human creature is bound by the chains of sin. And I thank the Lord that God has given us the keys 
to our freedom. But we'll get into that as we go along. That's just general practice, and that's the illustration, hopefully, that we're going to be using as we go through the message this morning. Before we get into our significance and our purpose as a church, I want to talk to you for a moment about some keys that are held by Jesus Christ alone. Lest we get confused, because there are many people that kind of misunderstand or take out of context the phrase here when it says, "With I give unto you the kingdom of heaven, or the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And a lot of people have kind of twisted this out of proportion and, and made it to mean that we as believers, or sometimes they narrow it down even more specifically and say Simon Peter in particular, had the keys to determine who got to go to heaven and who didn't get to go to heaven. And that's not at all what it's talking about except in an abstract way. And we'll talk about that as we go through. I want to point out to you that Jesus alone is the one who holds the keys to death and hell. If you go to the Old, excuse me, to the end of the New Testament, to the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Praise God for that. Amen. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is no longer bound, or was it, nor was he ever truly bound by the bars of death. But he said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. We need to understand that Jesus alone has the authority and the ability to open the door of life to those who will trust in him. And he has the authority and the ability to seal the bars of hell against those who refuse his mercy. Let me take you to the scriptures, if I can, and show you what I'm talking about. The fifth chapter of the book of John, verses 21 through 26. By the way, have I told you lately that we're going through the book of John on Sunday night? We're doing that tonight in spite of the Super Bowl, right? We're going to be here. We're going through the John chapter 14, and hopefully some of you can be here this evening. But in John chapter 5, a passage that we've already looked at, verse 21, the Bible says this, and this is Jesus again speaking, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, that is, makes them alive, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Verse 23 says that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Verse 25, verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given the Son to the Son to have life in himself. Now, we're going to, not going to go back through and rehash. We spent, I think, a couple of weeks actually talking about these particular verses uh, as we went through the book of John. And there's a lot of important teaching there. But the point that I want to make to you this morning is that Jesus Christ has the power of life in his hand. It specifically, obviously, he has the power of physical life and death. It is Christ, it is the Lord who determines when a person lives and when a person dies. You understand that he alone has the keys. We, we have to all the time, many, or, or not all the time, but frequently, especially as some of our, our dear senior saints begin to get to the age where their, their bodies are racked by pain and sickness and so forth. And I don't know how many times I've heard one who's walked with God throughout their life say, I wish the Lord would just take me. And my response is almost always the same, and that is, that's not our call to make. 
We don't have those keys. It is God that determines the day that we go to meet him. And as long as he leaves us here, there's something else for us to do, right? There's a purpose that yet is to be accomplished. There's something else, uh, some other means by which we're to glorify his name. But the point here is that Jesus has the power, obviously, of physical life and death. But beyond that, he has the power, he has the authority of spiritual life. He is the one that holds the keys that, by which a person may live forever. Have you ever thought, stopped and really thought about that? You understand when we speak about eternal life, that's exactly what we mean, that we will live forever in the presence of the Lord. Now, we've talked about this a lot around here, and I hope you understand. There will come a day, if the Lord carries in his coming, if we're not raptured out first, uh, there'll come a day when we must lay this tent aside. This body must be put aside temporarily and buried in the ground or otherwise disposed of because we're not going to need it anymore. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes and catches us away, the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. That body is going to come up. It's going to be reassembled. It's going to be glorified, become like the glorified body of Jesus Christ himself we who are alive and remain will also be glorified as we're caught up together with them to meet the lord of the air we'll be like him for we'll see him as he is i don't know if you catch this or not but i get a little bit excited when i talk about that because it's exciting stuff right we get to lay aside this body we get we, we, we inherit a a changed body a modified body a glorified body that is like the body of jesus christ and jesus gives to us the ability to live forever so that we never die we who lay aside the tent are simply sleeping the body is sleeping the soul and spirit are in the presence of the lord right Now, we don't have time to get into all that this morning, but I want you to understand that when Jesus says he has the keys of death and hell, this is what he's talking about. He has the ability to give physical life to people. He has the ability to give eternal life to all of those who will trust in him. But by the same token, he says, I have the keys of death, but also have the keys of hell. Now, this is not something that's a popular subject in our world today. Most folks don't want to hear hellfire and brimstone. I've heard it said I don't know how many times. But I have to tell you, it's in the Bible. And I have to declare the whole counsel of God. And when Jesus said, I have the keys of death, he also said, I have the keys of hell. By the way, can I remind you that the devil doesn't hold those keys? I know that because one of these days he's going to be locked up there and can't get out. Somebody say that a little bit louder. I think that's an exciting concept, right? We're looking forward to the day that the devil is bound in the bottomless pit and chained, uh, and only the Lord holds the keys. But that's a different subject. Uh, He has the authority, the ability to seal the bars of hell against those who refuse his mercy. Luke chapter 12 and verse 4, the Bible says, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear, he says in verse 5, fear him who after he hath killed hath power to cast both body and spirit into hell. Right? And Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28 goes along the same lines. Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus Christ, one of these days, he is now the Savior. One of these days he is going to sit as judge upon all of those who reject him. He has the keys of hell. 
And we need to understand that as we approach the keys that he's given to us. Okay? I just want to make very very plain, plain to you. And by the way, if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Lord has opened unto you the door of salvation. He has given the keys. You can be born again. You can have eternal life. If you refuse to go through that door, it's on you. All right? And so I just want to encourage you, if you're here in that state this morning, don't leave here in that state. Allow us the opportunity to show you how you can be born again. But another key that the Lord himself holds, and we'll have to go through this rather quickly, is the key of David. Now, I don't want to dwell here, but in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, And the angel of the church in Philadelphia, Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. He's talking here about the key of David. And the Bible, uh, this, by the way, is an, almost a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Now, I want to tell you a little something about Isaiah 22 and verse 22. This is one of those uh, uh, prophetic messianic prophecies that kind of has a double uh, meaning. Uh, a lot of the Old Testament prophecies had that. A lot of the Old Testament ha- prophecies would, wa- would have what we would call an immediate fulfillment, wherein uh, these things would be brought to pass in the prophet's own lifetime. And then uh, many of them have a, an ultimate fulfillment or a final fulfillment, and that is what we're looking forward to. And this is one of those cases. This is a prophecy that was made concerning a man named Eliakim. Eliakim was a steward of the king in the time, about the time when Rabshakeh was the warrior king for uh, Syria and had come in to invade Israel and so forth uh, under Hezekiah, the king. And so Eliakim was his servant. And the Bible says to him, that is to Eliakim, he would give the key of the house of David. Now, what does that mean? It meant that he, as the steward of the king's house, had the ability to let anybody in. Or keep anybody out. He had access to the king's treasures. He was a trusted servant who kept the keys to his master's possessions and dispensed them accordingly. Now, I believe greatly in the stewardship principle of the New Testament. And I believe that that's found in this particular passage uh, and in this particular principle. And, and probably as time goes on, we're going to try to develop that a little bit more fully. Suffice it to say this morning that we are the servants of the great king and we have the keys to his house. Okay? And we have access to his treasures. And to whom we open those treasures, they're opened. And to whom we close those treasures, they're closed. But in this particular passage, this is speaking prophetically and messianically of the office of Jesus Christ as the rightful king of Israel. It speaks of his actual sovereignty in the universe. The fact that no one and nothing has the power to overrule him. Now, I just have to say as an aside here that I get excited about the security of that particular thought. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this. I give unto them eternal life. Now, by the way, that by itself is enough. Okay? Jesus said, and I give unto them eternal life. Enough said. We can close it and go home at that point if we truly believe it. But he goes on. He makes it more secure than that. And they shall never perish. By the way, I believe in the eternal security of the true child of God. Why? Because that's what the Bible talks about. If the Lord says they shall never perish, then I think he means like never 
right? They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. I think what he's telling us, folks, is that he holds the keys. And if he's opened the door, you're in. And if he's closed the door, you're out. His sovereignty to control all things. I also believe that it speaks of his access to all the treasures of the king's house. John chapter 14 and verse 2. This is the passage we're actually studying on Sunday night. John 14 and verse 2 says, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'd go to prepare a place for you. So those are the keys that are held by the Lord Jesus Christ. Very quickly, let me point out to you then what our job is. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, he says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The local church was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This was spoken to Peter in the context of what Jesus had just said about his church. He says, I'm going to build upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And oh, by the way, while we're talking about that, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wanted Peter to understand his personal responsibility in the matter. But he also, I believe, wanted him to understand the, uh, the responsibility of the organism that he was going to establish. Peter was to exercise that responsibility. And in and through the organism that Christ had just spoken of uh, in establishing that being the local New Testament church. Peter, he said, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to hold these keys in reference to or in connection with this church that I'm establishing. Peter's personal responsibility, by the way, is also our personal responsibility. It is the responsibility of the church as a whole. You may see upon occasion during the course of this month, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and those of you that have been here long kind of uh, ought to little, chuckle a little bit on that because you will see it probably every Sunday. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, baptizing them, uh, t- excuse me, uh, in the, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, verse 20 says, and teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Or the age. And so the point being that we have a responsibility, the same responsibility that Peter had to carry the keys to the kingdom. I have to tell you that this particular prerogative or responsibility was exercised by Peter at the day of Pentecost. We don't have time to go into Acts chapter 2 this morning, but study it when you get home. That's your homework, okay? Uh, look at Acts chapter 2. And you're going to find how Peter, amongst the other apostles, was used by God to preach the gospel to the multitudes from around the world, people that had assembled in Jerusalem. One of the exciting things about that is every one of them heard the men speaking in their own language. That, by the way, is the biblical miracle of tongues, which, again, we won't have time to get into. But if you want to speak tongues, then everybody that hears you has to understand you. All right, that's the way it was done in the Bible, Acts chapter 2. That was the first, first time it was used. We have no authority to change it. But having said that, Peter preached the gospel to them. In it, he declared the forgiveness of sins to all who would believe on Jesus Christ. He proclaimed the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and for forgiveness of sins. He declared to them eternal life to all who would trust in the Savior. And what happened? Over 3,000 people were saved that day. 
And that continued on. Peter was again used by the Holy Spirit uh, to carry the gospel to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And he opened the door to the Gentiles by preaching to them the gospel. The door of salvation at that time was unlocked. uh, By the way, I'm glad Peter went to Cornelius because I'm of his group, right? I was born a Gentile. I had nothing to say about it. I was born a Gentile, and thankfully I can be saved by the same blood as the Jews. And so Jesus Christ opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles, and he did that through his servant, the Apostle Peter, at that particular time. Many more people would be saved through the ministries of Peter and John and Paul and the other apostles. Many of the men that were seated there with Peter on that day before Jesus' death are going to be used greatly by the Lord to open the doors of salvation with the keys that they've been given. Those same keys are employed by God's people every time the gospel is preached. Go with me, if you would, please, to the 20th chapter of the book of John. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 21, the Bible says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. A lot of people take verse 23, they take it out of its context, they say, aha, we have, or some people have, the ability to forgive sins, to which I say none can forgive sins but God only. What's he talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. He's talking about verse 21. Peace be unto you, my peace, uh, peace be unto you, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. You've got the keys. What are you going to do with the keys? The keys, if you haven't caught on yet, the keys are nothing more nor less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Verse 21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we'll preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, foolishness. But under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The gospel is the key, or are the keys, if we were to be more precise. Using the keys is one of the primary functions of the local New Testament church. We're to use the keys. We're here to use the keys to free people of our community from the chains of sin and ultimate destruction. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Did you catch that part? Now, by the way, if you're going to deliver the captives, you better have a key preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised. John chapter 8 and verse 36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And then in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? We're no longer enslaved to that power, that authority of darkness. And he has translated us into the kingdom of of his dear son. Now, by the way, this took place, or this 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 promise was given long before uh, Star Trek and the transporter. 
Okay, he has, he has translated us into the kingdom of his son. He, he's transported us from one kingdom into the other, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he's done that by opening the doors with the keys of the gospel. And so we, as God's servants, are commanded to use those keys in all the world. Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, uh, how many of us can literally go in all the world? I've, I've had the privilege during uh, my ministry and lifetime, I've had the privilege to vi- visit several uh, foreign countries, uh, gone outside the, uh, the boundaries of this continental United States. Obviously, we spent a lot of years uh, in Mexico. We've had the privilege of going to a couple of different places in Central America. I've been over to the Mideast uh, on a visit, not a mission trip. I wish it had been a mission trip. And a few things like that, been up into Canada. Uh, but there are many places in the world that I've never been. You know what? There are many places in the world where I will never go. And to some, the, the limitations are even greater than that. But the Bible tells us that we are here to use the keys that God has given to us, that we are to go into all the world, that we're to preach the gospel to every creature. As it says again in Matthew twenty eighteen, uh, Jesus came and spoke unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach some nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things. And then Philippians 4, verse 17, uh, the apostle Paul, writing there under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. We're commanded to use the keys to go into all the world. Now, by the way, I use the keys personally every time I present the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone. This is one of the reasons why we're emphasizing soul winning on purpose on Wednesday night trying to equip you to go out and talk to people about your faith. One of the hardest things for people to talk about is their faith in Jesus Christ. Why is that? Not because the subject matter is difficult. It's because the battle is fierce. And the enemy opposes it anytime we want to take that step of faith. I use the keys indirectly every time someone is saved through the ministry of my church. If I'm part of this body, somebody gets saved through the ministry of the church, I have a part in that. Because I'm functioning in the way that God has ordained me to function within the church. And then finally, I use those keys globally every time someone hears the gospel from a missionary that our church supports. Not because I desire gift, I desire fruit. That may abound to your account. Very quickly in closing, let me just point out to you, if I may, the concept of binding and loosing. Jesus says, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The primary application of this particular passage has to do with loosing the bonds of sin through presenting the gospel. In other words, when the gospel is preached, people have an opportunity to respond and the bonds to be loosed. I mentioned earlier on, if people refuse the use of the key, then that's on them, right? If we've been faithful, we've proclaimed the word of God, and people refuse to respond to it, then that's on them. But when the gospel is withheld, people continue in their bonds. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a great promise, isn't it? But there's a great responsibility that goes along with it in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So when we withhold the gospel, we are binding people on this earth. Now, please don't misunderstand. I obviously believe that God is sovereign. If God, does, if God can't use me, he will use someone else. But I prefer to be used. I prefer to be an instrument that carries those keys faithfully and binds and looses those whom God would bind and loose. This is also used in direct connection with church discipline, which we'll not get into today. Uh, Dealing with there, Matthew chapter 18, verses 17 and 18, you can look at that. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. If he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whosoever ye shall bind on earth, or whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Same uh, basic phrase is being used, uh, but it's with relationship to church discipline. We see that again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And there's also an application to the intentional and personal exercise of forgiveness. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, where the Bible says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Let me just wrap up by saying this, folks. One of the reasons why we as God's people do not bear the keys effectively is because of a prideful refusal on many of our parts to forgive when God has commanded us to forgive. We carry those grudges in our hearts. We carry that bitterness in our hearts. We reserve the right to ourselves to live in hatred toward one another, even though we may not classify it that or call it that. God says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, is that you have love one toward another. And part of that love is the ability to exercise the forgiveness which we've received in Christ toward one another. You know what? Folks are going to hurt your feelings. Folks are going to do things that offend you. Folks are going to sit on your pew and step on your feet. And who knows what else? But we as God's people rise above those things because we have the keys of the gospel, because we have the power to bind and loose. We intentionally and by faith forgive those that have offended us so that the gospel itself is not hindered. And that's material for a different message, which we'll get into another time. My question for you this morning is this. What are you doing with the keys that have been entrusted to you? What are we as a church doing with the keys that have been entrusted to us? Are we involved in spreading the gospel both through your personal witness and through your mission's involvement? Are you involved in the ministries of your local church so that the gospel is declared without hindrance because all the parts are functioning as they should? You're still bound in your sin. You have the keys. The keys have been used today. You've heard the gospel. If you remain in bondage, it's through your personal rejection of what Jesus has done for you. I want to invite you, if you would, please, to stand with me today. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, we're going to have just a verse or two of invitation. I don't know for sure what the Lord is doing in your heart. I know the Lord speaks to us every time his word is open. I know that there's a purpose. I know that the message has been given by him for a specific specific purpose. And so my prayer is that we will simply be obedient and responsive. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done in us today. We thank you for the directness of your word. I pray now that we may be obedient to your leadership. And we will recognize the great responsibility that we have in carrying the keys of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, may we do it faithfully and effectively here, not always substituting our going by our giving. And, Lord, I pray that we would also be involved in sending others to go where we cannot go. I especially want to pray for one who may be here this morning, had the door unlocked to them this morning through the gospel. But to this point, they rejected you. I pray that they may receive you before they leave here. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.